What the hell is happening in the United States? Can you believe that Trump is going to be the next president? How did this happen? We were so sure Hillary was going to win. Hey there, real lifer, English podcast listener, kick-ass English philosophizer. This is Ethan. Or, as you may know me if you listen to this podcast a lot, Mr. V, Mr. Vocabulary. And these questions I was asking at the beginning, it's not because I am particularly against the new president, the upcoming president of the United States, or in favor of him. But these are questions that a lot of people have been asking me. I have friends from all over the world, uh, many real lifers. And people just seemed to be so shocked, shocked, very surprised a few weeks ago when the election results came in. Now, it doesn't really matter who you wanted to win, whether it was Hillary or Trump or if you just could not believe that these were the two choices. Today in the podcast, we are going to comment a little bit on the situation. We actually have a guest from the United States who is going to help us to get some insight to look at how did this happen? How did Donald Trump get elected? Why was he so popular in the United States? Hopefully it will help you to understand a little bit better what is happening in the United States. Now, this is a long podcast, but we talk about some really interesting topics. The main topic we talk about is how to be a good global communicator. A lot of this, this will help you with your English learning. It will help you to make friends in other countries. It will help you to understand politics a little bit better, perhaps. And it will help you to even speak your own language, your native tongue, better and to communicate really with anyone. Maybe to have a better relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend, with your mom and pop, your dad. And I just wanted to quickly say, before we jump into this awesome deep, kick-ass podcast that if you are loving listening to the episodes of this podcast and you want to support us or you want to take your learning to the next level and really improve your English comprehension, in fact, maybe you want to be able to understand 100% of every episode. Maybe you're curious about why Chad, Justin, and I talk the way we do or you want to be able to laugh with us more and understand more jokes. Well, I would highly recommend that you check out, you look at, our really popular course that goes along with this podcast called the Real Life Radio Power Lessons. And with this, you also get to join our exclusive community, the Fluency Circle, and practice with learners from around the world on both WhatsApp and Facebook. So what are the Real Life Radio Power Lessons? With each of these power lessons, you get the full transcript of 40 of our most popular real-life radio episodes. And with these transcripts, you're going to understand almost everything, if not everything. It's going to depend on what level you are at right now. You will understand the culture, the jokes. You're going to learn a ton of new vocabulary that maybe you are missing by just listening to this. And you also get... Unky vocabulary files with each episode 
that will help you to learn all of the most important expressions and idioms from every single of the episodes included in the Real Life Radio Power Lessons package. If you want to learn more about this, I would invite you to go to reallifeglobal.com slash power. All right, guys, enjoy the episode, and I'll be communicating with you very soon. Oh yeah, real lifers, citizens of the world, welcome to the Real Life Global Movement, where our mission is to inspire, empower, and connect the world through English. We believe that English should be a fun and enriching part of your life that you can practice and enjoy whenever and wherever you want. Are you tired of boring lessons that suck the life out of your learning? Are you ready to step up your game and become a kick-ass English speaker? Well, we're here to guide and inspire you on your journey to true lifelong fluency. It's time to stop just learning English and start living it. Can again, aw yeah? Oh yeah, global citizens, this is Justin from Real Life English, from the Real Life English Podcast. We believe that listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos is a fun, natural, convenient, and... Uh, spectacular. And... Fabulous! Way to learn English. So download this podcast, or watch this video, now while, while listening and watching, and... While giving a massage to your elderly grandmother. Or... While skydiving. Or playing soccer. So today, we are joined in the studio, or across the internet, with our guest from the United States, teacher Vanessa. How are you doing today, Vanessa? Oh, I'm doing great. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, it's awesome to be here. Awesome to have you here. So today we are doing, trying something new. We are recording and we are broadcasting on YouTube through Teacher Vanessa's channel. So this is, you can, you can go to Teacher Vanessa on YouTube. We will put the link in the show notes in our podcast and you can go watch this live, check out her YouTube channel. And today for the intro, we're going to talk a little bit about that, talk about Vanessa, and then we're going to move on to global communication and talk about all the awesome things there is to talk about with that. So, uh, Vanessa, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, that's a huge question, but for (laughs) this audience, hi everyone, I'm Vanessa and I've been teaching English in the world in various places, France, the US, Korea, for the past seven years or so. And within the last two years, I decided that the internet is the best way to go. So I've been teaching online for about two years, and it's awesome. It's a great way to connect with people all around the world. And at the moment, I don't live in Brazil like you guys. I live on the east coast of the U.S. So that's probably where I'm going to live for the next couple years. But so far, so good. The internet is a great way to kind of pretend like you're traveling when you're not always in another country. So hopefully that will work for everyone out there as well, too. (laughs) That's the beautiful thing about the internet. You can connect via Skype or via another video connection and speak with people all around the world, traveling thousands of miles, right? Communicate globally. Yeah. (laughs) So... So your YouTube channel, I just see that you are kicking ass. You're doing, you're publishing these great videos. 
teaching people English in dynamic new ways, helping people develop confidence. So I'm really impressed. So um, that's so. What, what's what's your focus on your YouTube channel? Well, so far my focus for YouTube is well. Actually, this goes back to what the what we're going to talk about today. But I'll focus on just your question first of all. <laughs> it, on YouTube, so far is to help people gain confidence to learn what we as native English speakers use instead of focusing on more textbook style grammar or pronunciation or vocabulary that I think a lot of people learned in school and didn't really have much success with in the real world. So it's trying to focus on using that in a real way confidently. So hopefully that is being successful so far. So how does, how does one develop confidence in their learning process? Well, confidence, I feel like, is a mindset shift. So first of all, we have to be okay with making mistakes because that's just part of life. Uh -huh. We're always going to make mistakes. So when you make a mistake, first of all, being okay with it, being nice to yourself and realizing, uh -huh. hey, it's okay. Everyone makes mistakes. This is something that's normal and necessary and it means that you're learning it means that you're doing something to progress instead of just staying where you are so being okay with making mistakes and i think a big part of confidence is being in a community with other people who are doing something similar so that's why i try to do a lot of live events and try to encourage people to leave comments and youtube videos and in courses and Facebook groups, trying to really encourage people to communicate and connect with each other because that's when you realize that, oh, I make a mistake, but they do too. So it's okay. This is something that we're just doing together and successfully communicating still, even though it's not perfect yet. So that's something that helps you feel better about yourself when you're with other people. Uh -huh. Absolutely. I, I would say that's, that's, um, it's a beautiful insight into both language learning and life in general, right? You just have to get going, um, not be paralyzed. I think people get paralyzed at the beginning, like, oh, I have to be perfect before I can actually start. But if you keep yeah. doing that, you learn and you forget. You never really actually learn how to use what you've been learning from the textbook. Yeah, textbook. and I think as, as adults, that's a hard thing because maybe kids feel more comfortable making mistakes because they haven't had a lifetime of kind of that negative attitude about mistakes, like big red marks on your paper. Kids haven't really experienced that yet, but as mm -hmm. adults, we've had more negative experiences with mistakes, and usually it's not real-world negative experience. It's just school negative experience, where mm -hmm. if you tried to say those things in the real world, no one is going to say, why didn't you say that correctly? It's not a big deal, but in school, there's a lot of negativity about making mistakes and trying to be perfect. So I think we have to kind of relearn that it's okay, be nice to yourself, and just try to follow the path that's going to be more natural and help you to enjoy learning and enjoy making mistakes too. <laughs> I think too, like with the, the thing is that it's a language and the problem with that is that we compare it to our native language. And so people, because they speak their native language so easily, they expect that when they speak English, they want to also have that same level. But it's very, very difficult to get to that because you have to think that you grew up with your native language. You have had so many hours just like speaking it. 
as a child, you know, playing around with the language. And it's like with English, you probably work or you study or something and you don't have that same amount of time you can dedicate to learning it. Um, yeah. But I think people, when they're learning something else, they, they're learning martial arts or sports or uh, art or anything, they expect that there's going to be mistakes and roadblocks and stuff. But for some reason, when they learn languages, I think because they're comparing it to their first language, that they they don't have that same comfort. Wait, wait, what does roadblock mean, Ethan? A roadblock is like a barrier, something that's in the way. That blocks the road, right? A roadblock. Yeah. That you put up for uh, construction or something like that. So we need to break down the roadblocks, drive like a crazy person, and push them away. <laughs> At <laughs> least metaphorically. <laughs> awesome. So moving into today's main focus, which is everything to do with confidence and, and communication and having courage, uh, is global communication. Today we wanted to talk a little bit about global communication and us as three Americans. This is why Chad's not in here, because uh, you have to have an American... American passport to be in this podcast today. Uh, recently, we elected a new president, and there's a lot of controversy around this, and it, it, it really brings up a lot of questions about communication on a national and an international scale. So we decided that this is an excellent topic for um, today's podcast. So what, it, what is it to be a global communicator? Ethan? It's a, that's a really big question. It's like the... It's uh, like the big question you gave to Vanessa before. So uh, global communication, I mean, it's, I think at the fundamental level of it, it is communicating across cultures. So uh, someone who is able to communicate globally is going to be able to meet people from any part of the world and be able to talk to them in a non-judgmental way uh, looking beyond the stereotypes that they might have about that person, like for example, if you go to France, you're not going to assume that everyone there is going to be rude, or that everyone there like sitting around drinking wine and eating cheese. Or if someone, if you come to Brazil, you're not going to assume everyone here loves soccer and samba, and that they live in the Amazon. So it's kind of like coming with a more open perspective and. Curiosity, I think, is really important too. Like wanting to learn beyond just the superficial level that you have coming from your background. And how does confidence play into this, Vanessa? Well, I think that as far as being a global communicator, but also being open-minded to other cultures, I think sometimes when we meet people who think really differently from ourselves, we feel like maybe their different ideas will challenge what we think or that we we need to have just confidence that our culture or our mindset is is okay in the first place that we can think these things and it's okay to be open to to change you can be confident that if you change your mind it's not that you're a weak person it's not that you are just so silly and wrong in the first place, but have confidence that it's okay to change your mind. It's going to help you to learn new things and be open-minded. Yeah, excellent insight. We're constantly changing our mind. This is what we talked about in the past, the growth mindset, being being open to, to growing, being open to evolving your perspective and, and also your skills and your ability mm-hmm. with not just English, but the way you look at the world. 
So and that can be really difficult to do because uh, you've grown up with your background. You've been hearing your whole life that your culture is right, that your religion is right, that whatever background you come from, that's basically what you've been hearing is right all your life. So it's like suddenly, if you're introduced to global communication, you talk to people from other cultures, you might see, oh, maybe this isn't right, which means that I'm wrong, which means that I have to change. And that's uncomfortable. A lot of times we're like, no, like that's, that's just wrong. It's more comfortable to stay where I am. But you have to break out of that, that bubble and get out of your comfort zone and be willing to be curious and, and open your mind to new perspectives that might be different than what you know, but they're going to help you to become just much, um, much better as a, as a person, as a global citizen. In the role of empathy, the role of empathy is really important. So a lot of times you, you hear somebody and they'll, they'll speak and maybe you don't agree with them, but you won't even listen. So it, we don't have to agree with them to really understand the perspective. So it's really important for us to really put the, put ourselves in their shoes, to really put ourselves in their place. To, to There's a quote I really like by Aristotle that says, um, the mark of an educated mind is the ability to accept a thought or an idea without, without I'm sorry, uh, understand a thought. No, accept a... <laughs> understand a thought? Entertain in, in, a thought? Entertain a thought, sorry. Entertain a thought without accepting it. What does entertain mean in this case? Because people probably know entertain like watching your favorite TV show. Yeah. So entertain means to consider the thought, to understand the thought, and to um, to be able to even represent that thought and communicate to that thought to that person. And why yeah, is that? Sorry. Why is oh, that the mark of an educated mind? Why Why does he say that? Vanessa. Okay, okay, I don't want to interrupt you. <laughs> well, it seems like when we hear other people's opinions, we have to not talk, and we can't give our judgment or our opinion about it, and that is so hard. So when you are an educated mind or open-minded thinker, you have to keep your opinion to yourself first of all and just listen to the other person and i think a lot of people want to just change someone else's mind immediately tell you what i think and this is my opinion and so to really change someone's mind or to connect with someone you have to have some common ground first so to just say your opinion right away and judge what they said is going to cause some tension that is going to be really difficult to get rid of when you actually want to really open your mind and try to talk about your opinions. You're kind of negating what you want to say to them because you didn't give them a chance to speak in the first place. So listening is important. Yeah, there's a great phrase that's like, uh, you have two ears and one mouth, use them accordingly, which means that like, you know, you have, you should listen twice as much as you speak. And there's, there's like another principle that is, uh, a lot of times like what Vanessa was just saying is that we're listening to someone, but we're not actually listening. We're just listening to respond. And especially if someone has different opinions, we're just listening to be like, okay, what can I say to like change their mind? Even though when you start getting into that sort of communication, which is definitely not global communication, 
then you're just kind of creating a larger and larger divide because you're going to say, no, I'm right, you're wrong, and the other person is, then they're going to want to defend themselves instead of listening to you. They're going to say, no, you're wrong. And then it's like you both, it just gets to be this this huge barrier in between you. A big roadblock goes yeah. up. So I think so, the next... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think the next question, especially for English learners, is that's a really high skill language thing to be able to listen, but also use the correct words to not show judgment on their uh, their opinion. So if someone told me something that I completely don't agree with, if I want to be an open-minded global thinker, I have to carefully choose my words so that mm. I don't directly judge what they're saying. And I think that's something that maybe for English learners, they might find difficult at the beginning. In English, trying to be able to use the right words to be empathetic and to be open-minded. So I, I'm just wondering from your for your advice, what kind of sentences or what kind of language, if I told you something that you just thought was absolutely not your opinion, something <laughs> crazy, how would you react to that in a empathetic way or in an open-minded way? I can see where you're coming from, Vanessa. But... <laughs> Or that's that's interesting, but <laughs> or you can identify, summarize their point of view, right, and then and then um, have your point of view too. Yeah, it's always good too, because like you kind of re restate what they're saying, which that means that like you've really understood it. It means you were actually listening, and then they might actually hear the interpretation you got, and they might say, "Oh no, that's not actually what I meant." So you're not actually starting a fight. You're helping them see, like, maybe they didn't communicate what they were trying to say correctly. Yeah, I Correct. think that works really well. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, that fingers a delay. I was going to say, correct me if I'm wrong, but I was oh, wrong to interrupt you. <laughs> that's a great one. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think uh, that works really well also with just general relationships. Or I've used that a lot with kids. If... Mm -hmm. a, a kid is trying to, like kids that I babysit, if they're trying to do something crazy like, oh, I want to, I don't know, go outside and run around without me clothes on and it's the middle of winter. If I just, like you said, repeat back what they said, oh, you want to run outside without any clothes in the winter. How will you feel? Then <laughs> you're kind of opening the door for them to think about it. And even with, you know, my husband, if I do that kind of thing, that active listening where you're repeating back, it shows, yes, I understood exactly what you wanted, or no, I didn't understand, so can you explain it in a different way? That's a really good way to kind of open the door for better communication. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is all really excellent uh, information and points to be able to think globally, communicate globally to develop the perspective where you can engage with many different cultures, where you can cross cultures in the communication. Because even if you speak perfectly, it doesn't mean that your perspective can engage with those different cultures perfectly. And so that can cause a lot of problems, a lot of problems. But So there's kind of like a thing beyond just being fluent, beyond fluency, there's cultural fluency, right? Mm -hmm. And this gets really complicated, especially with English. I mean, like if, if you are learning like French, for example, and, you know, most of the French, you're just going to speak maybe with people from France. That's probably not a great example because there are also a lot of other countries. But with English as the global language, 
you speak it with people from all over the place. So it's not just you're not just having to learn about one country and the culture of one country, and then your cultural your um, cultural fluency is going to be good. It's like you have to be open to all different cultures because it's probably going to be very difficult for you to learn about all of them. So it's kind of just being open to the possibilities. So really quickly, um, we have about 10 minutes left before I think Vanessa has to go here pretty quick. So just to really, one, one topic we really wanted to talk about, and we were, we were talking about um, actually having this as our, our, our um, focus today, but we, we each read an article, all of us read an article on how we broke democracy. It's called How We Broke Democracy after the Donald Trump election. And the article is really interesting. It covers a lot of the things we're talking about today. And so if you want to read that article, we're going to post it in the links below. Just pause right now and go read it. That might help this conversation. So uh, the main, the, one of the main points that the article brought up is something they call the Facebook effect. So you, you each have your Facebook feed, right? And Facebook has this algorithm where they basically, based upon what you click, what you like, what, you, what the perspective you want to see, they will give you more of that. So the idea is it's bringing us further and further apart. There's less, um, like you said, common ground before. So people become more and more insulated in their perspective, and this creates a bigger and bigger conflict. Would you care to comment on that, Vanessa? Sure, sure. So uh, when I read that, that when we click on things on Facebook and when when we like things, Facebook gives us more of that. When I read that, I went to my Facebook feed to see what I was seeing and to see if there were multiple perspectives. And I realized, of course, it's true that what I see it almost completely aligns with what I think. And part of that has to do with that I have consciously decided to, if somebody posted a lot of like political things that either I agreed with or I didn't, and I just didn't want to think about politics anymore, I might have clicked, don't receive any more notifications from that person on my feed. So I consciously did that, but there's a lot of unconscious or subconscious things as well that are showing up or not showing up. And I think that's something that we don't think about, but certainly benefits Facebook because we are engaging and clicking on things. And when we're interested in it, we are going to look at that material, but we also don't get a chance to see varied perspectives because I'm probably less likely to click on an article or a video that thinks exactly the opposite as I do. So, Facebook wants to give you things that you agree with because you're going to click on it and have great confirmation bias. <laughs> wait, wait, what does bias mean, Vanessa? So a bias is, how can I explain this? It's something that you already think that my personal perspective. So let me think of an example. Like if, because I live in North Carolina. I think this is a great place to live. So if someone, if you said to me, Vanessa, where should I live in the US? I would say, oh, you should live in North Carolina. 
it's a great place to live because I like it. So that's my bias. I think that because of my personal experience, my based on what I've experienced. Mm -hmm. So confirmation bias means that on Facebook, you find a lot of other people who think similarly to you that confirms or agrees that your idea is correct because you have a lot of friends who also think similar things. But in the end, maybe it's not the majority of people, just some of your Facebook friends. So it shows that this article talks about how Facebook is pretty much creating two different <laughs> streams of reality, two bubbles. What, Mr. V, what, what do you mean by bubble? What do we mean by bubble here? Uh, so like two different bubbles. It's like, you might also say like blinders. Like blinders are what you put on a horse to, it's so that they don't get scared by something that like they're seeing going on to their left or right. And so they just focus what's in front of them. And we say this like political blinders, like you're not actually looking at any other opinions. You've got the blinders on that are keeping you from seeing anything other than what you want to see. And when you say like a bubble, it's something similar that you're like within this enclosed space and you can't see beyond that. And what we were talking about before with global communication is that this, this confirmation bias that Facebook is creating inhibits us from uh, actually becoming global communicators because we are not talking with people who disagree with us. And especially if you're not able to like openly talk to them, something that's been happening, I know a lot in the States is that people are defriending people who have different opinions. So it's like, I don't even want to listen to you. You're wrong. And I'm hundred percent right. And I'm not even willing to discuss this. Um, and it's, it's creating more and more of this. So it's, it's kind of gotten out of hand. Out of hand. What does that mean? It means that it's out of control. It's, it's completely beyond control. And, um, yeah, so, so basically Facebook is creating a reality where global communication becomes really difficult because we're not able to take in these different opinions, these new ideas that are different than our own. And so we just keep thinking more and more. And the more you engage with Facebook, the more you're going to think like, oh, I'm right and everyone else thinks I'm right because that's all you're saying. Yeah, can I play devil's advocate for just a moment? Devil's <laughs> advocate, what does that mean? Uh, it means that I don't really... Maybe I don't completely believe this, but I want to say something that's the opposite as you. <laughs> just just to give another perspective. So in in this article, we read an article together. In the, um, in the article, they mentioned this, uh, this idea, the ideas that we're talking about. So when I was on Facebook, ironically, I found on my wall, someone had posted a comic. And I want to read you the quote that was on the comic. And it said... My desire to be well-informed is currently at odds with my desire to remain sane. Okay, what does, <laughs> what does that at odds mean? At odds means it's kind of fighting against. So mm -hmm. my desire to be knowledgeable about what's going on in the world or about politics is fighting against my desire to be sane, to be normal and have, a, have good sanity <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> And I think that's kind of two sides of it, that in one side, Facebook is pushing a certain perspective because that's what we will click, that's what we engage with. But on the other side, maybe we want to remain sane and not take in absolutely everything. So there's got to be a balance. Yeah. I think it's like you also have to, you have to kind of, 
it's fine to, to be within your opinions and everything as long as you are considering the other side or at least you're trying to understand what's happening. Because what's ha I've talked to some people in the States. I'm not, we're not living there currently. So The States? Uh, what do you mean by this? The States, the United States of America, <laughs> America. <laughs> um, so we're not, the only, the only views I'm seeing of what's happening there is from talking to people who are from there. But I've seen some people, they've become very reactive to what's happening. They're just saying, oh, it's, I'd say, the people who lost, mostly. They're just saying, like, oh, it's the end, Trump was elected, and everything's going to be horrible now. Like, Obama is going to be gone, and, and it's all going to go to shit, I could say, which is kind of a vulgar way to say things are going to become very bad. Can we swear on your channel? <laughs> um, there's no rules so far. If, it, if it's tastefully done... <laughs> uh, so I think that people saying that everything's going to be bad that's very reactive and it's not what we need right now right now we need to be proactive we need to say like instead of defriending everyone that voted for Trump if you're if you were had voted for Hillary you should say okay like this is it, it sucks um, and it's it's very strange that Hillary lost because I was so sure she was going to win. We were most people were very sure she was going to win, even Trump supporters. But now let's let's step back and understand first, like why did this happen? Why is so much of our country unsatisfied with uh, basically the leadership we've had from the Democratic Party in the last eight years? And then being proactive, looking to the future, what can we do? How can we come together now instead of dividing our country? to work together to make the things happen that really we really need to to make the country great and you know everything that happens in the US affects the world so to help make the world great and there's just like a lot of big problems um, th that we need to come together around right now so I think instead of curling up in a ball and and crying in the corner about your team not winning uh, just say okay this sucks but how are we going to make the best of it Okay, that's a really big idea, Ethan. I mean, you know, everything that, that we need to do to really accept this new reality. But let's let's address the elephant in the room. And what is what's the elephant in the room? The elephant in the room is the big idea that nobody wants to mention, but that everybody's thinking about. It's kind of like something uncomfortable, right? Yeah. And so everybody's always asking us, like, <laughs> what the heck? Or WTF? <laughs> What the, what the heck happened? What, <laughs> what is wrong with you Americans? What happened to America, right? So, Vanessa, do you want to lead on this one? Oh, man. Okay, just go right in. So, the question is, why did Donald Trump win? And that's the elephant in the room, I guess, we're talking about here. And no matter what I think politically, I think it's a lot more complex than the media tries to portray it. So the typical narrative of why Donald Trump won, I think a lot of people in the U.S., and the reason why there's a lot of protests is because a lot of Americans are racist or sexist or, you know, want to be this certain kind of person and not these other people who are not like me. I think that's the stereotype of why he won. But in my opinion, I think a lot of people voted for Donald Trump defensively. So they voted against Hillary instead of voting for Donald Trump. And that means that 
everyone, I think probably in every country, probably your country too, that they try to find the lesser of two evils. What does that mean? Well, the lesser of two evils. Evil means really bad, something that's terrible. So we've got two terrible choices, and you're trying to find who is a little bit less terrible. (laughs) It's not like you've got a great choice, but who's a little less terrible? And I think that's a terrible position to be in. Of course, I want to vote for someone who I can be confident in and who's going to be a great leader, but instead we're voting for the person who's going to hurt the country the least. (laughs) And I think a lot of people felt, at least the friends who I saw on my Facebook feed, a lot of those friends felt really negative and just icky about voting because they didn't feel passionate about the person they were voting for. They just felt like, well, the other person is a little bit worse. So in conclusion to that idea, I think that Even though Donald Trump won, and people, there are, of course, the people who you see at rallies and people cheering for him. There are supporters, but I think that a lot of people who voted for him just didn't trust Hillary Clinton. So instead of loving Donald Trump, they just really didn't like her, and he's the only other option. So that's kind of my first opinion. I don't know, what do you guys think about that? First, that's a uh, you said icky, which might be a hard word for some people. Yes, icky is. I wouldn't say it's slang, but it means gross or disgusting. Sometimes, uh, like one of my friends posted on Facebook that voting was like going to the dentist. They just felt terrible. <laughs> like, oh, this is not fun. It should be some kind of like freedom and I'm choosing my own leader, but they just felt like they were going to the dentist, something terrible that they have to do to, you know, plan for the future or whatever. So I think icky is that feeling like, ugh, ugh, I don't want to do it, but I have to do it. <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to like, um, to, I don't know, just put some of this in perspective for people who don't really understand the system in the U.S. Because if you're coming from a country for example, like Brazil, that's also it's also a federal government, so it's kind of similar to how it works in the U.S., but here you have uh, obligatory voting, so you have to vote, or you pay a fine if you don't vote, so like everyone goes, whether or not they care, whether or not they're educated about it, everyone votes. In the U.S., it is not. You vote if you want to, if you, if you, feel, um, if you feel motivated to. And another thing that I think is important is that it's, because the U.S. is federal, a lot of people come from a democracy that is a, a parliament, which means that you can vote for a smaller party and your vote still matters because you can get like a representative in the parliament from a smaller party. In the U.S., it's really just, although there are other candidates, it's a two-party system. So something that happened in, in this election is it's the biggest ever vote for a third party, but it was still only something like 5%. So... Um, that's also, I think that's something very unfortunate in the U.S. We really only have, like, two choices. And like, uh, like Vanessa was saying, a lot of people is like, okay, well, I'm choosing the lesser of two evils. Or, because there's not a mandatory vote, a lot of people was just like, I don't care. They're both awful. I'm not going to vote. I just prefer not to vote. So, and I knew a lot of people who were like this. They said, I don't really care either way. So, I mean, we're, we're screwed either way. And so they, they did not vote, which... 
you know, it's a shame. It's kind of like the whole purpose of democracy is like, let's go and choose. But when there's two terrible choices, that's what's going to happen. So it's not necessarily that a humongous population in the U.S. supports Donald Trump or that they really didn't support Hillary. It was really that uh, a lot of people just did not care. The people who cared the, the, the most were probably Trump supporters. And so that could be another explanation for why he might have won. I have a big question for you. Do you mind if I ask you something really big? Sure. <laughs> so how? why do you think that we ended up with two people who a lot of people in the U.S. just feel are icky? <laughs> that instead of having someone, like a lot of people felt really passionate about Obama and they wanted to vote for him. But it seems like a lot of people really didn't like either candidate. So how how do you think we ended up with these two people. Let's talk about Bernie Sanders, right? <laughs> Bernie Sanders was, he was the, the Democratic candidate for Hillary Clinton before. So they only they can only pick one candidate. And the Democratic uh, Party actually really wanted him to run against Trump, even though Bernie was just amazingly famous. And, and everybody loved him. And he had a really great campaign. And he was very passionate. And a lot of people are saying now, I told you so. I told you so to the Democratic Party because they pushed him out. Mm, so you think that maybe because they pushed out Bernie, that Bernie supporters didn't vote for Hillary or they just didn't feel passionate about her because she pushed out the guy that they like? I think that definitely contributed to it, but I, I just think he... It, it just represents how bad the system is in general. Mm. Um, I And I... I I just don't think she is nearly as charismatic as Bernie is. And Bernie was like this, this hyper-liberal, uh, people called him a socialist candidate. <laughs> and some people that I heard that I respect, some thinkers, believed that they were really pushing for Hillary because they thought that Hillary would beat Trump and this other guy couldn't beat Trump because he's too liberal for the United States. And that's an interesting right. point about the two-party system, because if we had more parties that were given more voice or more airtime, like they're allowed to have uh, a voice in the debates or something like this, if we had that option, maybe Bernie could have been, or even other Republicans instead of Trump, or other third-party candidates could have been on the ballot, on the voting choices, instead of just two candidates that he, why did he have to completely leave why couldn't bernie still have been there i think that that might be a flaw in the system that people who mm -hmm. wanted to vote for bernie should have still should have been given the opportunity to still do that if they wanted to but the system is sure. rigged i don't think that they, were, they what does rigged mean <laughs> rigged means it's like it's it's been set up to be in the advantage of a certain person's interests or a certain or a group of people. Yeah, a certain group of people. So it's like yeah. Bernie. Bernie was just a really passionate, great candidate that I think the rest of the world would have loved. And but the rest he, of the world, like the world as a whole, or the rest of the world, like the rest of Americans. Well, the the world as a whole. Okay. I refer to. I don't think America. Is the world, but <laughs> something, something too that's like um, I've had pointed out by my friends from from Europe is that in the U.S., like we think of someone like Bernie Sanders as being socialist, or a lot of people called him like a you know socialist, which 
also in the U.S. I think a lot of people compare that with being like communist. And actually, like compared to most countries in Europe, in the U.S., like even our Democratic Party, which is supposed to be our liberal party, for them would be a conservative party. So it's it's kind of like interesting to look at. It. it is also a very conservative country, politically. Yeah, I'm curious. Do you think that Bernie Sanders could have beaten Donald Trump in another you know, alternate reality if he had been the only other candidate with Donald Trump? What do you think, in your in your opinion? I think that uh, one of the problems that Hillary had, what we were talking about before, is that she was not able to rally up to get support from, for example, minorities and um, from young people, which I think that's why one of the reasons that Obama was able to win, he got all these people who normally would not vote, like, you know, generally people who are from minorities and who are young, they don't vote anyway because they don't feel like they're, like, their vote's going to matter, like it's, they're going to be represented. But Obama all of a sudden came in and he felt like a, like a hero for the minorities, for the young people. He really like campaigned on social media. He, really, he went to universities and spoke. Like actually Michelle Obama came to my university and I got to see her like right, right in front of my, uh, where I was living, speak. So they did a wonderful job of that. Hillary did not. She, she tried, but she's not exactly someone who sticks out as like a, a hero for for the young people, for the minorities, for the the normal common man. So I think Bernie, maybe he could have he could have been able to do that. I think young people really loved him. I think that uh, he could have he was Jewish as well, which is a minority. He would have been if he could have gotten elected, he would have been the first Jewish president. Um, and so I think he he definitely would have been much more of an opposing force. For Hillary. I think another thing, like what you mentioned about Bernie being, he he was interesting to the minorities or to demographics that don't usually get spoken to. I think something about this election mm-hmm. is that it was quite an outsider election. Like, Donald Trump is not a politician. He's, he's a billionaire, but he's technically an outsider in the political sphere. He doesn't have all of the political connections that someone like Hillary Clinton has. So if Donald Trump is an outsider, kind of, and Bernie Sanders is kind of an outsider, he's talking to the people who aren't just typical politicians, that if those two people are who the majority or a lot of Americans can get passionate about right now, and then we've got Hillary Clinton, who is very typical politician it seems like this just wasn't her time to win because it was a time when people wanted an outsider they wanted something different who's not a typical politician and she doesn't really fit that bill what does that mean (laughs) fit that bill well i don't really know where this expression originated but uh what was my sentence i said that hillary clinton doesn't fit that bill so she doesn't fit that type of person. She's not an outsider. She's a political insider, we could say. She knows all about the workings of the political system, and she's connected to everyone. So she fits that type of person. She fits that bill. Would you explain that expression any differently? I'm not sure exactly if I said that well. I think that's a great explanation, at least in in this case. Uh, I think, too, like, Talking about that too, I think Trump, on the other hand, he was he fit the bill perfectly for the 
people who voted for him because he was so different. He's not typical politician. He was fighting for the working man who, you know, in the economic crisis lost his job or whatever, lost a lot of things. There was actually the other day we were watching an interesting an interesting uh, talk from, um, what's the guy's name again? Michael Moore, oh, not Leonardo DiCaprio. Michael Moore talking. He predicted like months before the election. Even though he didn't support Donald Trump, he he predicted that Donald Trump would win because he got people so riled up. Which what does riled up mean? Riled up means like uh, <laughs> just emotionally agitated. Right? Yeah, he was able to like really get the masses on the right side really riled up. So. You know, if you're able to do that, even if it's just one side, they're going to be the people who go out and fight for, you know, their choice and go out and vote. Hillary was kind of white bread. She was nothing, nothing new, like Vanessa was saying. Another, another politician who's taking money from lobbyists. What are lobbyists? Lobbyists are people who <laughs> ask the government to give them favors. They give politicians lots of money and say, Hey, can you make a law that says I can grow as much corn as I want without any taxes if I give you $3 million and they are getting yeah, favors? Yeah, they're the ones from the corporations that are basically going out and like talking to the politicians to create those, those um, really corrupt relationships. Yeah. There we go. Okay, so this is, it's a great conversation. We have explained a lot, to be honest with you. Um, a lot of the things that we're talking about today, about understanding the other side, maybe I haven't done the best job of understanding Trump supporters. I've, uh, I didn't vote, actually, being in Brazil. But, um, yeah, so I, I probably would have voted for Hillary, but I did not do the best job of actually understanding the other perspective. And so it's really hard for me, maybe, to, to come in there and, and um, have a complete perspective of, of, of the Trump side of things. So, but... Let me ask you guys this question. How can can we and how can the people out there listening to this, English learners, how can, how can they be more global communicators, better global communicators? What are some tips at the end of this? I think it could be useful to search for something that is different from your own opinion. And there's, it, talking about politics, one recommendation is there is a Facebook page called Humans of New York. And if you're curious about why in the world did Donald Trump win, the <laughs> Facebook page, the photographer, it's a photography page, he interviews people and takes their picture. He's going to an area in Michigan that has, I think, always voted Democrat. And then this election, they voted Republican. So he's going to go there mm -hmm. And not really ask them political questions, but just ask them questions about life, see what kind of people they are. So he's putting a face to the idea so that we can maybe become less stereotypical about thinking Donald Trump supporters are like this, Hillary supporters are like this. You can see who the real people are. So if you don't agree with the vote outcome, this could be a good way to to see real people and see that hey we're all humans we're just have our different perspectives about what is the best thing for the future in this article that that we all read that um that i really recommend you read if if, if you haven't yet it's in the comments i mean in the in the information box below but they talk about something called the contact hypothesis and this is to really um reduce your prejudice 
reduce, expand your perspective through extended contact, contact with people that have different backgrounds, people that think differently than you, people that have different opinions, different cultures. So the more that you do that, the more that you, just like this Humans of New York page is doing, you systematically expand your perspective and are able to look at the world from different perspectives, from different um, um, different point of view. Yeah, so maybe contacting people who are from different cultures, finding a speaking partner or talking on Skype with someone who's different or listening, even if it's just in the YouTube comments, if someone says something you don't agree with, instead of just judging immediately and saying your opinion to them, but asking them some questions. Oh, why do you think that? What would happen if that was a reality? Or asking some open questions instead of just immediately judging, like you said, having contact with people who are of different mindsets. Because we often put ourselves in a bubble <laughs> instead of <laughs> reaching people who are different from ourselves. Because, like the quote I mentioned earlier, it makes us feel healthy or it makes us feel normal when we surround ourselves by people who are similar to ourselves. So it's not easy to reach and contact people who are different, but like you're mentioning, it helps to reduce prejudice when we contact people who are different. So kind of necessary for unifying the world, really, for being global communicators. Mm -hmm. I think it, it can help you to grow a lot, too, as a, as a person. It's like the, there's the quote, I think it's Jim Rohn, that said, you are the five people you spend the most time with. And, you know, although this is kind of like in a business setting to surround yourself by people who are maybe a level ahead or like, you know, at the level where you would like to be from a business point of view, I think this also works in this setting to, you know, surround yourself by people who force you to grow. And like, you know, if you surround yourself by people who have different points of views than you, you're going to be forced to like understand many different ways of looking at the world. Yeah, I'm curious, how do you guys feel whenever somebody questions what you think? So if you said, um, like you mentioned earlier, if I had voted, I would have voted maybe for Hillary, maybe for Bernie, just one of those choices. If someone said, oh, why would you do that? How would you instinctively feel about that? Or how would you react to that kind of question when your judgment is on the line? Someone is questioning <laughs> your ideas. How, how would you feel about that? It depends too, right? If they're saying like, oh, why, why do you think that? Or if they're saying, why do you think that? You know, if they're, if they're coming from like a judgmental or like an understanding point of view. But I think, um, I think just even when it's you're communicating your ideas, you can do it with such a way that you're like open to whatever they're going to respond to that. So, you know, trying to say it in a non-aggressive sort of communicative way. Sure, like what we were talking about, the nonviolent communication or active listening, actually trying to repeat back what the other person said so that when we do have contact with people who are different than ourselves, we can actually benefit from that instead of just clashing and fighting or just feeling even stronger about our own opinions instead of opening our minds. So, yeah, those are good ideas. And it's like a basic human right, you know, like freedom to opinion, freedom of speech. So it's basically like, look, at this other person is entitled to his or her opinions. does not mean I have to agree with them, but I can listen, I can try to understand them, and I can respectfully disagree. 
Another thing we can do, uh, you know, besides engaging with people who are different than us and really trying to understand their perspectives, research the things that they believe, we can also examine um, the information sources that we believe in and the information sources that we share. Because a lot of times you see posts on Facebook that are clickbait. <laughs> What's clickbait? Clickbait is basically something that you put on a fishing hook to go fishing, right? So the fish is attracted to it, and it, it attracts the fish for you to capture it. So clickbait is a really fancy, beautiful title of an article that people will click on. Ten ways why Donald Trump will ruin the world. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it sort of confirms what we believe, and so people it gets people really emotional and engaged in Facebook, but it doesn't necessarily represent, like, um, qualified content. So it's really good for us to question the information that we are consuming, the information that we are sharing, too. Because if you share information that's not the best quality, then, then you're spreading you're spreading those lies, too. Yeah, I think something valuable in order to know if the material you're reading is biased, like what we talked about before, what is the, what's the reason why the author is writing that? Do they have some kind of desire to get you to think something for a specific reason. So a way we can find out if an article or a journalist or a news broadcaster is biased is if they use sources. So this is something I often look for when I read a news article, when they say um, a percent, like 50% of uh, Hillary supporters say this or think this, or if they say uh, last week, Donald Trump said that he wants to do this. Well, if there is, especially on the computer, on the internet, it's so easy to, to have uh, an annotation to say, click here so that you can see the original source. And you can really see, did Donald Trump say that? Did Hillary supporters really say that? You can follow those, but a lot of articles don't use that kind of... Uh, content. They don't really try to support their own opinions with facts. So be sure to look for some kind of facts in the articles instead of just saying them. Look for other sources. I think that's a valuable thing to do. Definitely. Especially because like even sometimes they do share like the video or whatever, but maybe it's taken out of context. So it makes it, it sheds a, the wrong kind of light on it. Sheds the light? Yeah. So shed light is to like provide information. So it kind of like gives you an idea that, oh, Trump said this, and they show you like a video of Trump saying, saying such and such offensive thing. But then maybe if you went and saw the original video, maybe not, it would actually provide context. You'd be like, oh, okay, it makes sense that he said that. But probably not with Trump, because Trump is... <laughs> Unpredictable. <laughs> he, says a, he says a lot of really bad things. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's, it's also scary. to keep in mind to why someone might say something. So even, say, even for my own family, if if someone says something kind of hurtful to me, because I know them intimately, I know their background, I know, like, if they had a bad day that day, I can sympathize or I can be a little gentler about accepting their harsh words. So thinking about what's their motivation for saying that thing, even in relationships around us, or what's Hillary or Donald Trump's motivation for saying certain things? Is it just to win the election? Is it actually 
because they believe that and trying to dig down and find the original motivation for why somebody said that, even just in relationships around us, not just politics. That's an excellent point. And it reminds me of one thing I'm going to say. I'm not sure how politically correct it is, but <laughs> um, just this idea of Donald Trump is, is a, he's a businessman. And if you look at his election, his communication, he uses a lot of like rep repetition. He's kind of constantly repeating a lot of the same words, the same phrases, the simple communication. And really, really poking at the emotions of people. And what does some poking people, mean? Poking. If you're watching the YouTube video, you can see me poking Ethan. <laughs> it means to, to press your finger on, on, on something. So he's, or like a sharp... Sometimes it's even with like a sharp object. Kind of yeah. annoying something. <laughs> he's agitating the emotions of the people, right? And so he's... Uh, I've read sources, actually like verified sources, that say that he's... He's been trained in, in, uh, in I'll, I'll find one of these articles and post it in the show notes. <laughs> Make sure it's verified. <laughs> that he's actually been trained in, in uh, hypnosis. And so in some sense, he's, he might be hypnotizing using techniques of hypnosis in his marketing. Mm -hmm. And I think those are all things, too, that when you are knowledgeable about it or when you're aware of it, even if you don't end up changing your mind about the final outcome, you still can see things a little clearer so you can know why he said certain things or why why people, even for Bernie Sanders, why people really liked Bernie Sanders or why people are doing things when you know their background. I mean, Donald Trump wrote the book, The Art of the Deal. He knows about <laughs> like, how to get people to do what he wants. <laughs> so it's not that that is a lack of knowledge on his part, but certainly it's completely different tactic than what other politicians have used before so hmm, very different what's a what's a tactic a tactic is like your his strategy his strategy for getting people to vote for him is it seems similar but at the same time it's not like a lot of politicians use crazy language or they try to make the voters feel fear. Like, oh, I have to vote for this person because if I don't, the world will explode. Terrible things will happen. So they, they use fear. But I think for Donald Trump, something, his unique tactic was, for better or for worse, <laughs> was saying a lot of unpredictable things, but being very bold about it. So not saying things that were only politically correct. And I think a lot of people in America wanted somebody who's not just going to say the perfect Republican or Democratic things, even though he does say a lot of crazy things. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what he actually does. Yeah, I think um, just like two, something, something that bother me slightly about that message from from trump and i think this is interesting on a global scale not to not to like push any opinions that i have but um just the the campaign the make america great again and that whole thing that like a lot of people feel like america is not a great country which i think if you actually spend time outside of america and you see a bit how the world is the u.s is a pretty great country already in its current state so um so just something I think that that is important to put out there is kind of like how 
part of having a global perspective is realizing like, you know, things here are pretty good or just putting it into a global, uh, global point of view of like where, where you are at and being grateful. Yeah. That's a really great expression too, to put things in perspective when you experience <laughs> other cultures or recently I read three books, a century trilogy about the last 100 years in the U S and not just in the U.S., but in the world, about the first one was World War One, then World War Two, then the 60s through 80s. And this has just changed my perspective so much about our current state of life. Maybe there's things I complain about, but when I put that in perspective and think about the last 100 years, wow, I'm talking to you on Skype right now. This is incredible. This is new technology I should be grateful for. So putting things in perspective is really important too for just connecting and being satisfied too. Oh uh, yeah. Well, I hope we've been able to come on here and give you guys some perspective today. Um, it's been really great sharing this this uh, this microphone with you, Vanessa, and you too, Ethan. <laughs> but so we, I, I guess we're gonna we're gonna finish now. So thanks a lot for coming today, Vanessa. Thank you so much for having me. I hope this was beneficial to people for learning English and just the world developing and thinking about the world in general. Where can people find you? The best place is my website, speakenglishwithvanessa.com. Speakenglishwithvanessa.com. Oh, yeah. Right. One more oh, yeah, to close it off. One, two, three. Oh, oh yeah. That was nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good job. All right, guys. Take care. Have a good one. Bye. Aw, yeah, kick-ass English learner. Before you head out on your day, I just wanted to quickly share some more recommendations that are really going to help you with your English fluency. So first, if you are not yet signed up for our newsletter, go do that now. You are going to love it. Every Friday, we will send you five recommendations with the best things that we have found from the week, which will include some of our new content, but also content from English teachers like Vanessa, or just cool things that we've read and other things that you will really enjoy. You can do that at reallifeglobal.com slash Friday. That's reallifeglobal.com slash Friday. And again, just a reminder, if you want to check out our Real Life Radio Power Lessons, which will help you use this podcast to really increase your English comprehension and fluency, then you can check that out at reallifeglobal.com slash power. Enjoy the rest of the song that we are playing you out with. It is called Johnny by Mishkat, who is a Costa Rican singer, and we shared this song in last week's Five Fluency Tip Friday. So go sign up for that now. And we'll be talking to you really soon. Aw, oh, yeah.